Hey, party people. Uh, before we dive into this long-awaited episode continuing on with our history of Panic at the Disco, we here at So Emo I Fell Apart want to give an apology for our long hiatus because it's been more than a hot minute. Um, we discussed it at the top of the episode, which was recorded back in mid-November, but then it took forever for this episode to go up because in true emo fashion, seasonal affective disorder had hands the second that the time changed here. Um, my body is basically like, oh, it's 5 p.m. and it's dark out, time for bed. Oh, the sun is starting to set at like 3 and it's gray out all the time time to be sad and not enjoy doing the things that I enjoy doing, like editing and spending time working on this podcast. Um, so yeah, thanks for being patient with us. Uh, your continued listenership and support means the world to us. And because of your listenership, we do have a platform. And anyone who has a platform has a duty to use it when injustices happen. We hope you guys have been using your civic powers to contact your representatives and urge them to end occupation in Palestine. If you did not know, as of December 5th, the United States House of Representatives passed H.R. 6578, a bipartisan bill that aims to create a congressional body to investigate criticism of the apartheid state of Israel and formally recognize anti-Zionism as anti-Semitism. Myself, as many of you guys know, I'm a proud Jew, and many other American Jews, as well as Jews around the world, denounce Zionism entirely and completely. Equivocating Zionism and anti-Semitism is anti-Semitic in and of itself. We're about to enter a new era of McCarthyism with this bill. This bill does not actually care about Jews. It does not care about our safety. It does not care about Anything except U.S. imperialist interests like selling of munitions to Israel and gaining access to oil in the region. It's important for us to mention injustices, both domestic and global, because the music we love is deeply rooted in leftist politics, and it's a large factor of why we love this genre. To ignore the very foundation and tenets of punk, hardcore, and emo is irresponsible. Call, email, fuck it, Fax them. Let them know that this bill is garbage, demand a permanent ceasefire, and demand an end to occupation in Palestine. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And with that, let's have a hard tone shift and ignore my reading off a script voice and get into this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to So Emo I Fell Apart, a podcast dedicated to all things emo and pop punk from the naughty oddies. And today, I'm one of your hosts, Freya. I am one of your other hosts, Chloe. And where the fuck have we been, Chloe? <laughs> um, around. Um, <laughs> I spent a week um in the United States of America, not with you this time. Tragic, my but understandable. Know, my dear friend Smoggy got married. Um, sorry, I was going to her wedding. Where they played dropping at the reception. They did play dropping at the reception. It was honestly such an uphill battle to get them to play dropping at the reception. Wedding DJs don't want to hear shit. That wedding DJ. Like, that man wanted to play, like, middle school dance hits and, like, Taylor Swift. They see, a, they see a, like, millennial couple and they're like, oh, I know exactly what to play. It's T-Pain only. And, like, T-Pain's great. Don't get me wrong. It was so much T- It was, um, it was, we played, uh, low, you know, apple mm-hmm. bottom jeans, boots with the fur. We played, a like, a G6. A classic. Um, we played uh, Cooler Than Me, you know. Oh, my God. I mean, we also had uh, the Cupid Shuffle and the Cha-Cha Slide classics. For the, for the old folks. Yeah. It was so funny because I, like, posted a video to my story of us doing the Cupid Shuffle. Like, you already know what the fuck it is. And one of my, like, younger coworkers replied and was like, Chloe, I really don't know what the fuck it is. 
Oh my god! I was like, okay, well, obviously, I wasn't talking to you, and I never will be again. No, Um, you're too young. (laughs) So you're too young. Fuck yourself. (laughs) And then, yeah, they did finally play Jopping, and that was like, that was it. That's the moment. That was it. Incredible dance floor filled up. We were on ham. Exactly. Yeah. Expecting nothing less. Yeah. Um. And then I've been sick for the past. I think I'm on day eleven. Yeah. Of being sick. Mm-hmm. Not COVID. <coughs> As I cough for emphasis. Um. <laughs> don't know what the fuck it is, but who knows? Maybe in like two weeks, the CDC, if they're still actually doing anything about COVID, will say like, "Hey, that weird chest congestion thing that everyone's been having for the past like month." was a new strain of covid and we just didn't know yet i mean it probably is because like i think that that latest strain they were saying like yeah it's just like not showing up on the at-home tests like you actually have to go to the doctor and like good fucking like going to the doctor so and i didn't i fully just took like eight at-home tests and every single time it came back negative yeah and i mean it's possibly just like a regular regular old cold slash respiratory infection but i mean yeah I'm on the up and up. I'm yeah. like basically like totally fine minus the fact that I keep like coughing a little bit and my nose is not as clogged as it has been and my sinus pressure is much lessened. Nice. So we're doing better. Yeah. Um, I was exhausted all day today and then because I went to the gym yesterday after not going to the gym for like two weeks because I was crawling like against the walls of my apartment being like, let me go lift <laughs> things up and out. put them down. Yeah. <laughs> like, I need to go lift a heavy thing to feel alive. Uh-huh. Please, please, dear God. It's, um, and it's then, the worst part of being sick is just like the the trapped, the trappedness. And also just like so many things were happening at once. Um, Last weekend, well, on Halloween, I was like, oh, I totally feel fine to like go out. Mm-hmm. And by go out, I mean, go play Match the Gathering at a card store. Yeah. Um nearby in a onesie mm-hmm. um and i was like i can i can totally handle this this will be totally fine i was fading fast um and then i was out of christian for another three days and then this past weekend i think i did friday i stayed at home but i was up late because my boyfriend came over and we played again Mad to the gathering for like six hours yeah um then saturday i somehow got roped into doing an extra life stream yeah for a friend <laughs> um and I was on mic for that, which was bizarre, but mm-hmm. it was fun. It was a great time. We mer- we raised like $2,000 for charity Sick. during that stream, which is great. And speaking of Extra Life, Moonshot, our friends our friends at Moonshot will be hosting an Extra Life stream on November 11th over at moonshot.mov, and you shall go watch it. It's going to be a fucking blast. The Our friends do incredible programming for Extra Life, and if I was not beholden to a bunch of like personal life family responsibilities this month and this upcoming weekend i would absolutely have us participate yeah but unfortunately i have to go pick up my mom from the airport and also help my aunt move so we can't be a part of it but you should watch it anyway yeah if you like what we do here then you will like what they do there mm-hmm. easy peasy but yeah i ended up doing an easy peasy stream. pumpkin peasy pumpkin pie motherfuckers. pumpkin pie motherfuckers and then sunday i had to drive to my mom to pick her up and she lives two and a half hours away. Bring her back and then drop her off at the airport. Do you get to see her little dog? I did get to see Patrick. Okay. Patrick nice. is such a little darling. Yeah. Um, but that basically took up my entire day. <sighs> so yeah, my, my schedule has just been being sick and um busy despite being sick. Yeah. So but we're back better than ever. Um, and with that saying that we're gonna be back and better than ever after our 
like month-long hiatus by accident because this keeps happening to us because we <laughs> lead busy lives. But in the upcoming new year, because we're going to be hitting our one-year anniversary of uh, So You Might Fell Apart in February, I think, which oh is my God. huge. But in preparation for that, for the new year, we can't do it because of the holiday season, but our schedule will be changing. Instead of bike weekly slash when, you know, the moon is in the second when house. When we can. And, like, yeah. When we can. Um, <laughs> we will now be turning into a weekly podcast. Huge. Our upload day will probably change to Thursday instead of Wednesday. But I also really doubt that most of you notice <laughs> whether our episodes actually do come out on Wednesday, let alone on time. Yeah. So... But we're going to be switching things up where I feel like a, a weekly schedule gives us a lot more opportunities to provide you a lot of different conversations and topics and things we want to get into that a bi-weekly schedule just does not allow us to do. So you're going to get more like emo news from us. We're still going to do our lore and like history episodes. We're going to get more into like album, like we're going to pick an album every like per month and you guys will let you guys know ahead of time and, and we're going to talk about an album. You know, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we're going to do, it allows us a lot more uh, variety. Yeah. And we're stoked about it. And also a weekly podcast uh, date will keep us on the straight and narrow and more likely to actually upload things on time. And it'll also give me something to tell my boss that I have to do when he asks me to stay late. And I, instead of just saying, I don't want to, I can say, mm-hmm. no, I have something else to do. Mm-hmm. For the record, when I say, no, I don't want to, though, that is still, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm not just saying, well, I don't want to, but I will. It's I don't mm-hmm. want to, and I'm not doing it. Exactly. It's uh, it's giving you the um, opportunity and permission to establish more of a boundary at work. Exactly. So it's a win-win for both us and you guys. Yeah. And now, now we've discussed where the hell we've been for eight minutes. What are we getting into today, Chloe? Um. So last, last episode, we left you with yeah. um, Panic coming out with Vices and Virtues. Um, and the Young Veins release of Take a Vacation, followed by their immediate hiatus. Um, so from here on out, as we're discussing the continued kind of rise of Panic and then their fall, uh, there's not going to be a whole lot about Ryan and John. This is really just kind of like the Brendan, Spencer, and Dallin show. Mm-hmm. It's worth noting that like around this time, public opinion of Ryan was like, completely the opposite of what it is now like right now you see people talking about ryan like oh my god ryan ross mentioned finally like is he alive we miss him we want him back he's princess diana he's he is princess diana to us um at the time most panic fans were not feeling that way it was very much like ryan was viewed as like the instigator of the split john had escaped this pretty much unscathed like this was very much viewed as like it was something between Ryan and Brendan that caused the band mm-hmm. to break up and everyone was team Brendan. I want to state not in my household. For the record, I was always a Ryan girly before the split. In between the split, I don't think I was taking sides because I was like, well, I'm still listening to Panic and I'm still listening to the Young Veins, but like I never was like on the Ryan hate train like a lot of people were. No, I wasn't either. No, because I I can remember some people that I know being like, oh, like, he had such a hard life, so we all have to excuse him for, like, ruining the band. And it's like, I mean, he did have kind of a shitty childhood, and, like, he didn't ruin the band. He just, like, left it. Like, can we be nice to him, please? He didn't ruin the band because the band is still there. That just all means to say that, like, Ryan was the main reason why Panic! at the Disco was good, and you're acknowledging that. Like, can we chill? Also, in 2010, his ex-girlfriend, Kelty Colleen, 
had published a memoir called, I think, Rock Stars, Rockettes, and Rock Bottoms. I think it's something yeah. like that. Um, that, like, depicted their relationship as, like, at first him being, like, really charming and, like, really sweet to her. And then later as him being, like, kind of a disaster who, like, maybe cheated on her and, like, took up cocaine and, like, neglected his dog. Um, also, guess who published that memoir? Guess whose publishing house published that memoir? Who? Hey, Chris. <laughs> that <coughs> oh my god because there's five people in fandom and they're all in each other's shit all the time and even more so that like kelty colleen is now like legitimately best friends with jack vanek both of them exes of ryan yeah. i think jack dated ryan first and then yeah she was dating him kelty- like as they started taking off and then they broke up like quite early on in the career it was like Jack yeah. and Audrey Kitching were both kind of like in there and they both kind of departed at the same time. Um yeah. and then Kelty was in there like soon after. Yeah, because Kelty was dating him for his 21st birthday. I remember yes. that. And met him when she was uh she was like working as a dancer, like when they performed at the VMAs or something. And mm-hmm. she was like hired to dance for them. Um and yeah. that was when they met. And I think that Kelty ended up was like if I'm remembering correctly, I could be wrong. I could easily look this up right now, but like she was notably much older than he was in a way that I'm like, why are you dating a 21-year-old? Was like, she, freshly 21-year-old? I don't know if she was much older. Hang on, let me, how old is... But in my head, I was also, like, 13 and was, like, anyone who's more than three years older than yeah. me is, like... <laughs> is a thousand. Um, is a thousand years she's, old. She's... Me, who has a repeated pattern of dating people who are older than me, but that's besides the point. She's currently 41, and he... Okay, she was, like, four years older than him. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's probably an age difference okay, not that, that, like, felt bigger at the time because uh, he was, like, 20 yeah. and she would have been, like, 25 or something. But, like... And I, and if I was 25, I simply would not date a 20-year-old because they're, a com- again, complete disasters. Yeah, which he was. I don't know. In her memoir, she seems to be a little, like, reluctant about dating him at first because, uh, mm-hmm. one, she had dated Christina Perry's brother. Like, you know that shitty song, like, Jar of Hearts? I think you're so? gonna catch a cold from the frost inside your soul. It's genuinely bad fucking song. I'm sure if you um had me listen to it, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's about like, my head. Oh god, yeah, I that, don't recall. It, it sounds like it was written like specifically for like not even like good AMVs, but like bad AMVs. Mm, <laughs> um, gotcha. Allegedly, this song was written about Kelty. That's hysterical. Yeah. You know, lol. But yeah, now Kelty Colleen and Jack Vanek are best friends and they have a podcast together called Lady Gang, which we can get into the, we don't have to get into why that's a bad thing to call <laughs> your podcast if you're a group of three white blonde it's, women. It's very support your local girl gang, but like, if I see an actual gang, I'm calling the police like, okay, thank it, you yeah, exactly. so much. Um, and then was also, I think, in the bridal party for Jack's yeah. wedding recently. It's, so that's a really funny yeah. thing of like. We have a, the same dating history. Jack's wedding to now a guy friends. from the main. It's like j- it, like pop punk. There's five people, and there's they five all know each people. other. Um. Anyway, it's so funny. <laughs> like whenever I like watch Jack Vanek's story, and she's like, "Oh my god, elder emo stuff," and I'm like, "Sure, like this is your brand, mm-hmm. but this is you can't act like you're in, you're not in the scene anymore. It's like nostalgic revisiting it." When you are regularly at festivals that your husband is playing. That's why it was so weird when she was like, oh my god, Pete Wentz knows who I am. It's like, you've met Pete Wentz. Of course he knows who you are. 
What do you mean he knows who you, you are? are? You were a scene you, queen. You, like, hung out with him. You're in the scene. Like, or like, um, you were You were dating Ryan. Goes, he goes, was dating Ryan. Of course you guys know each other. And then when she would go, like, goes nuts over, like, whenever something corporate does something, I'm like, you were absolutely, like, on Warp Tour and, like, doing bamboozle <laughs> at the same time as something corporate. Like, you have probably met Andrew McMahon. I mean, I also go wild every time something corporate does something. I can't blame her for that. And he, and they are She's doing right. something They are. Soon. So. I hope they... But this is not a news episode. Whatever. This is a panic yeah. at the disco episode. <laughs> if we start talking about Andrew McMahon, it's fucking I'm over. I'm going to be here forever. So, yeah, no. We we have to move on from my my vast knowledge of, like, Jack Van Ex's personal <laughs> life because I watch all our Instagram stories. <laughs> all right. So, almost immediately post the Vices and Virtues tour, touring guitarist Ian Crawford, uh, who you probably... Who used to be part of yeah. the cab. Uh, you can hear him on the uh, Sit-Ins for Our Betterment mixtape introducing their new single, Bounce. He's the one who's like, bounce, mm-hmm. bounce, bounce. Uh, that's him. So he <laughs> left the the touring band stating that he wanted to make his own music he said like i don't want to get rich or die trying like i want to make my own art and not just like be playing someone else's music fair um he's replaced and now he's the touring guitarist for um the yeah, is. like <laughs> so. is he touring or is he just like in the band i feel like he's just in I there i don't actually know but the past couple times that the Academy is, has played live in the past, like, two years, he's there. Yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like he's just actually in he, the band now. I wouldn't be bad yeah, at that. Yeah, me neither. I also don't know. Also, I don't care to look it yeah. up right now. So you can yell at us if we're wrong. He's hanging out with the Academy is. Um, so Ian is yeah. replaced with a new touring guitarist named Kenneth Harris. Um, also around this time, the band announced that they were finally working on their fourth studio album, and they would be entering the studio as a three-piece with Dallin, like, finally taking part in the creative part of the recording process because if you remember from vices and virtues he was officially air quotes in the band but like didn't actually contribute creatively so like i don't know how that works but what did when did too rare to live too weird to fuck come out um too weird to fuck yeah um i, I can never too weird to live too rare yeah, to die. it was right, like there we go. 20 uh 2013 okay 2010 2012 2013 october yeah. okay i distinctly remember this because at this time, I cannot stress enough that, bef- like, right around when this album came out, th- no one cared about Panic anymore. It oh, yeah. Was like, it was like, this band doesn't exist. This band doesn't exist. And I know that for a fact because they were playing college shows. Yeah. Because I saw them at the College of New Jersey, t- like, in spring 2014. Yeah. Like, they had very much, uh, I don't know, it was like, among emos, they were still, like, the band, you know? Yeah, and but, like I could tell, like when that was the first time I'd ever seen Panic was actually at my college, mm-hmm. which is it's fucked insane. up. And I remember, I think they they were playing stuff of too weird, too too weird to fuck, too rare to die. <laughs> Stop saying fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not allowed to say the fuck word on this podcast now. <laughs> too, they're absolutely not too weird to fuck. Um, okay, you got but, me there um go on i I remember distinctly that like no one cared about the songs from that album despite there being like high hopes was was high hopes no high hopes was a couple albums later miss this one was miss jackson yeah despite like miss jackson having radio play popularity um to some extent like no one at my college gave a shit about those songs but when like the fever songs came out everyone went fucking buck wild and this was still when he was playing more than just I write yeah. songs. Like, I, he's still played, playing, I like, think, Kamisato, Kamisato. And Time to Dance and 
I yeah, think maybe even meals ones. for breakfast or uh, the only difference. Yeah, we got you meals know? for breakfast. Yeah, so we got that and like a cup and less off of Pretty Odd. Mm-hmm. But like it it was dire for panic yeah. around this time. Yeah, it was very like, I don't know, because I remember really liking Vices and Virtues and I saw them on that tour and like had a blast, even though I can remember feeling kind of conflicted about buying the tickets because I was just like, Mm-hmm. well like i had been reluctant to even listen to the album at first and then i did listen to it and i was like okay like i like it like but mm-hmm. it just it felt so weird with them keeping the name that i was like i just don't know and then i obviously stopped hemming and hawing and just fucking bought a ticket went to the show saw them play hurricane live it fucked it was so good yeah you know i had a fun time yeah i still like vices and yeah. virtues but it just it didn't take off they like they were kind of cooling off so they go in to record uh too weird to live too rare to die but before we talk about the actual album part we have to talk about um chelsea lynn uh <laughs> who i completely forgot about until you mentioned i was like oh shit i need to put this in the outline it's like oh fuck. yeah i forgot about this yeah because this was also happening in that like 2012 to 2013 era that uh too weird to live was being recorded in and you know promoted in mm-hmm. um i think i was busy trying to get into college during this time yeah. so like i was kind of like tapped out i was a little bit from fandom was two years into college so i was very much doing other things but like you know i think i was having like a resurgence of uh my anime phase i was like only mm. staying up until 2 a.m watching durara every single night yeah totally yeah. checks out just, like, for you watching oran like a thousand times that one's more yeah. fair I mean, that's just like, that's medicine. That's, that's medicine. That's vitamins. <laughs> you know? Right? That's like, do- you don't even need the doctor. That's over the counter. That's genuinely like a. Right next to the mucinex and the like robitussin, a- an aisle that I've become very familiar with. The past I'm looking weeks. at the sun start to go down earlier, and I'm thinking, like, I need to take vitamin D. I need to watch Oren for my fucking, my humors. Humors. My, yeah. You know, it's, that's going to fix me. Um, yep. Anyway, there is this fan named Chelsea Lynn, who was an obsessive fan of Panic! at the Disco, who had become kind of mm-hmm. infamous in the fandom for stalking Brendan and Sarah, Sarah being Brendan's wife. Um, you may know her from the song Sarah Smiles. That's her. Um, That's about her. So Chelsea, like, hacked into the personal accounts of, oh, there's my clock singing her little song. Chelsea hacked into- You're trying to go to yeah. bed. <laughs> Chelsea- You're trying to go to bed. It is. It's- uh, it's my little, uh, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Go to bed now. It's been doing that for years. I don't know how to turn it off. Well. Anyway. Chelsea hacked into. That's it. I can hear it. Hacked into the personal accounts of um, a ton of people in Brendan's life. Family members, friends, whatever. Oh, it's um, still going. It, it goes for quite a while and it's going to go again in an hour. <laughs> um, <laughs> she hacks into all these people's accounts. Um, God, it's going to sound like I think this is funny and I don't. <laughs> Um, no, it's horrifying. Like it's it's genuinely it's horrifying. It's happening, horrifying but the, behavior, the- and the fact that she <laughs> has gotten away with it pretty much is kind of a nightmare. Um, she hacks in all these people accounts. She gets Ryan Ross's personal phone number um, from somebody who like still knows him, and armed mm-hmm. with a burner phone and a fake Instagram account and a ton of personal information about Brendan that she like harvested from people's private accounts and from his friends and family and from Brendan's own account. She pretends to be Brendan for nine months 
and spends nine months like texting the catfish baby to genuinely term. texting Ryan Ross as Brendan, reconciling with him about the breakup, inviting him. Dude, this is so this is fucking it's evil. genuinely fucking insane. Inviting him to Brendan's wedding, like just all this like, shit, unfathomably, like yeah, like weird. And it's like the fact that like I'm not terribly invested in the relationship that these two guys have or had, especially now that like I just think that brendan is kind of a trash person but like yeah no the he's fact garbage that and we can, we're gonna get they into that could like, have genuinely repaired their relationship mm-hmm. and now that opportunity has probably been taken away from both of them because of this is like and nightmarish I, and part of me like in my heart of hearts because you know i still slightly live in the delusion that was pre- like presented to me in 2008 that like the band is hunky dory and their best friends etc cetera, etc cetera. and like that's the narrative i love to hear all the time about all of my favorite bands which is why i like k-pop so mm-hmm. much that like maybe if they had reconciled things like maybe brendan would not have you know gone down the path that he did maybe who's to yeah. say like maybe he would still be but, just like, a huge asshole or maybe like he would be slightly more grounded if he had the reminder that, like, oh, yeah, this guy wrote all of our lyrics and, like, got me into this, mm-hmm. you know? I don't know. Like, the reason I'm famous is because of this yeah. guy. It's – the whole thing is fucked up. Another yeah. fan on Tumblr who was suspicious of Chelsea and, like, all of her – like, th- she had, like, a wealth of information that she would just, like, post. She would post private pictures mm-hmm. and, like, not really say how she got them or where she got them from. It's not really been confirmed that she physically stalked people and, like, showed up at their houses and stuff. But she did show up at mi- meet and greets. Mm-hmm. Like, she's got pictures with them. Which is, like, she... Ugh, it just, like, sends, like, a chill down my it's spine. Bad. You know, people were kind of like, wow, how does she have all this? A fan who is suspicious of this behavior struck up, like, kind of a fake friendship with her over Tumblr, eventually drawing out a confession from her about what she was doing with Ryan. She then forwarded this confession to Ryan's manager, um, this mm-hmm. girl doing like vigilante fucking justice, incredible. Yeah. Brave. Love like her. that's you went on a covert ops mission that no one assigned to you. And you Ocean's know, like, that shit. It's, but solo. Uh, and you know, to just for the greater good, just because it was the right thing to do. Thank you for doing that. Chelsea has allegedly posted screenshots of the conversations that she had with Ryan. I don't know if these exist anywhere. I'm not gonna go look for them because I don't want to see them given that like ryan was Mm-mm. so violated and was so horrified when he found out what was happening and like i don't need to know that information no not at all it's like it's Mm-mm. if it's stuff that he was only sharing with someone that he thought was a friend and that he thought was going to be private then it's like i, I don't want to i don't want to know that especially given that he's so far removed from the spotlight yeah. in any way shape or form until he decides on his own volition until it's like on his own volition that he wants to like do something. Yeah. So Chelsea basically got off from this scot free, which is wild. Cause like yeah. I cannot stress this enough. This should have been she legal. was not like a teenager when she did this. So it's not like they were like, Oh well she's like fifteen or whatever, so like we'll just make her apologize and this Slap will on the wrist. be expunged from her record when she turns eighteen anyway. No. She was twenty three years old. Like no. this was like- someone who knew that this was wrong. And should have known better. So she posted an apology where, like, line by line, she just, like, names everyone that she heard here. She apologizes to Ryan, to Sarah, to Brendan, to Ryan's manager, to all of Panic at the Disco, to, like, the Phantom at large. 
um, for wasting people's time for the harm that she did, whatever she, Mm -hmm. um, acknowledges that she is to never contact anyone involved again and that she is like staying away from them all on threat of serious legal action. She does not stay away from them, by the way. She did go to meet and greets after this. Um, and she did post pictures. So evil. I'm shocked that her name like wasn't on like some sort of blacklist from like ticket Genuinely, sales or, or that like she wouldn't show up and they would be like, you're being escorted from the property. You're not being issued a refund. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. She posted pictures of Brennan and Sarah's house on Instagram. Mm-mm. Like not ones that she got from like a real estate listing. Like it's pretty clear that she went there. Nor like um, the house tour that Brendan did. Yeah. No, it's like, like this girl is terrifying. Brendan has said that he tried reaching out to Ryan after all of this blew up, but that he did not receive a response, which, like, fair, because, like... Yeah, because, like, r- at that point, how do you to trust then trust at that point? That, you know? Yeah, how do you verify yeah. that? I, like, fully don't know if I would answer a text ever again in my life if that happened to me. That's just, like... Especially if it's something from my past, no. Yeah, if it's, like, oh, here's an opportunity to heal this relationship that was, like, for a while, probably the biggest one that you had in your life. And right. now you find out that that was not real. That person did not ever try to reach out to you. Well, now they are trying to reach out to you now that they know that reconciliation was an option. Like, now, no, it's too late. Like, sorry. Yeah. It's, God. it is all such a nightmare. It's tragic. Um. So this is what was happening immediately prior to the release of Too Weird to Live, Too Rare to Die. Yeah. So at this point, then, like, the public opinion towards ryan was kind of now leaning more towards him a little bit because of this because of this situation so then we get too weird to live too rare to fuck (laughs) (laughs) sorry too rare to fuck is like actually kind of it's pretty good they should have called it that versus versus like too weird to fuck because i know there's some freaks out there no one is too weird to fuck i've been on the internet long (laughs) enough to know that for a fact um, so Too Rare to Live, Too Rare to Die was officially announced on July 15, 2013, which at the time, I was like, oh my god, birthday album for me, because my birthday's on July yeah. 20th. And if anything happens within five days on either side of the 20th, I'm like, that's for me. Mm-hmm. True. It is. Yeah, so it was accompanied by the release of, thank you, was the, uh, <laughs> the announcement was accompanied by the release of the album's first signal, Miss Jackson, the one that I mentioned earlier featuring Lolo, who was a fellow Decadence 2 artist. She also had does the do 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 or I'm doing that completely wrong. Um, there we go. It's the uh in my head, in my head that's what I was doing, but that's not what my mouth was doing. What's the fucking song that that's from? Like Tom Tom's Diner. She Maybe? was waiting in the corner for the man to pour the coffee. Whatever. Oh no shit. You learn something new every day on this podcast, even the hosts. Um on centuries. Uh so I was like, oh sick cool new album fresh for my the freshman year of college this is like weirdly poetic i had panic at the disco for me throughout like middle school and now i'm gonna get it for college Mm this will be fun um and then on july 18th also close to my birthday the band announced a small tour during the month of august to promote the album and it was also announced that they would be supporting fallout boy on the Save Rock and Roll tour, along with 21 Pilots. This is also when we start getting the arguments over what the Holy Trinity of Emo was, part one. Because Where they started, started to include like, 21 Pilots. What if it was the Emo Quartet and it was 21 Pilots? No. Fuck. I, I'll... No. I'll find you in the streets. Like, listen. Catch these at hands. At this point, because when... In the heyday of these bands, no one said Emo Trinity. No one said that. No. That was fully an invention of, like, the late 2010s. 
Yeah, that was like a fully like a Tumblr thing. Yeah. Too. So that being said, this was, th- this was Dan and Phil kissing on stage as like oh, exactly my chemical romance. Exactly. Played. Like that's what we were doing here. Which you know what's fucked up is that that's like a genuine possibility now because like <laughs> yeah. those men are openly gay and living together. Um, yep. It could happen. All of that being said, if we're expanding the quote unquote emo trinity to be a quartet, it's not fucking twenty one pilots going in there. It's Paramore. it's Paramore. It's obviously Paramore. Like, don't be stupid. Be serious for once in your fucking lives. Like, we fucked them over a million years ago. We're still kind of fucking them over now. If anyone is getting that recognition, it's going to be them. Stop yeah. it. I'm so glad that I was never 21's pilot. Uh, like a top not person. In a, not like, for a second was I, I dodged that. All, some of my de- some of my dearest friends in the world were toppies or whatever the fuck their fans were. I watched were the greatest minds right of my generation fall to 21 pilots. Fall victim. <laughs> it was like the, the greatest minds of my generation did One Direction, 21 pilots, and then K-pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, except... And they first initially started out with Bandom. I can remember so. hearing... So, like, I don't know, 21 Pilots came into existence and I just kind of ignored them and I knew that they were, like, a Fueled by Ramen band. And I think I heard and I listened, that one song. Car Seat, Radio, Headrest, the fuck? That's that a different one? band. Car no, Seat, Headrest? Was, oh, mm, fair enough. That's, that's, that's another band. That's band. like a, that's a shoegazy <laughs> fucking different kind of emo. Band. Um different kind of God, emo the, the episode Think that we could do on radio will toledo and the adjacent drama would take us hours anyway no but we're the, gonna do it yeah probably the the fucking because we haven't even touched midwest emo yet my name is blurry face and i care what you think i just remember hearing that and thinking wow stupid fucking lyric stupid as hell can't take the whole band but also like at that point like we were like just old enough that like newer sounding emo lyrics were like if we even want to call 21 pilots emo because i'm loath to consider them emo emo. um even though they're like which is shitty to say because we give a specific on this podcast like so much leeway with what we call emo and pop punk because of like the Venn diagram of yeah. like Feel by they Ramen and all of that. They were not part of my personal pantheon of emo. They are probably considered exactly. an emo band. But yeah, exactly. I never cared about um, them. But like, that's not negate the fact that like 15 year olds hearing that probably went fucking wild for that shit, just like we did. I just thought with, like, Blurry Face was so dumb. And then people were like, oh, well, that's what's that guy's name? Tyler. They were like, oh, well, that's like Tyler's name for like his alternate persona that has anxiety. And I was like, I don't care like that's still a stupid lyric like that's i'm i'm me and have anxiety like that's not a that's not an alter ego blurry face like <coughs> whatever whatever i did go to this tour i did not see 21 pilots so you at did all. see 21. i didn't oh, no you didn't. i intentionally showed up after their set because i was like i'm not sitting through a single Slay. second of that and you had seats so it didn't really matter no, no, no i was standing room at this no. oh and you still showed yeah. up late damn and I still, I mean, I was in the pit for all of it. Like, I wasn't, like, close, close. Oh, uh, gotcha. I mean, I was, like, decently close because, like, the pit was kind of close to the stage. Also, a- allegedly, this show was at Echo Beach at uh, the amphitheater there. I do not remember this being at Echo Beach. I remember this being at an indoor venue hmm. for the Save Rock and Roll Tour. I so... Are you sure that you were just underneath an overhang? I'm pretty sure because I remember doors. I don't know. I'm so certain in my mind that this was not an indoor show or that this was not an outdoor show. But I mean, I can't argue with Wikipedia. So Fair I was enough. there. Um, I saw Panic's little 10 song set. And then I saw uh, Save Rock and Roll. And I saw the like slideshow that Pete did where he like pulls up a picture of Princess Diana. 
Hmm. This is digging yeah. it all. Might as well just show you a picture of Ryan Ross. <laughs> Genuinely. Um, yeah. So that was that. Was that. Um, one week after the album's then, release, ooh, yeah. they announced another headlining tour in support of the album. Um, like immediately prior to this tour, Spencer Smith announced that he would not be participating as he needed to step away from touring life and focus on his health and mounting addiction issues, which he had been dealing with since Pretty Odd. Um, and this is a recurring theme with people in this band who are not John Walker. Yeah. John Walker seems like the only person in this band who just like showed up, punched his card, did his work, went home. <laughs> like, because I feel like he, he, I think the, the, the good thing was that he had a fully developed frontal lobe before getting involved yeah, in all this. Yeah, he was, this. like, slightly older and had been yeah. involved in, uh, like, the music scene in, like, a hands-on way for a longer time. Like, he wasn't, mm-hmm. like, a band from the internet. Like, he was a musician who, like, was existing in the scene around other musicians for quite a lot of time. Yeah, I think, like, even going back to, like, the late 90s and yeah. shit. Yeah, so he, like, I don't know, I I truly do not know if he never had any addiction issues, but if he did... Then you know they, were it, very they weren't. Yeah, they were either very private or non-existent, and I do mm-hmm. think it's because he just was, you know, a uh, a more practiced hand at dealing with that whole that whole yeah. environment. And I think I think it just speaks volumes again about like when we talked in our first episode, just like how tumultuous and how like new and so like completely life altering, throwing young kids into a whirlwind scene where they're rocketed success and like. There is, they like it's. I hate to say it, but like it makes sense that this would happen, and it's tragic. Like it's well, yeah. Really I mean, sad. like it's, and it it's not exclusive to this. It's like basically the same thing that you see happen with like a Justin Bieber, where it's like they get yeah, exactly. They become their parents' meal ticket, and nobody says no to them for mm-hmm. a very long time, and they just get fucked mm-hmm. up. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't think that it's as extreme with Panic at the Disco because like there were, you know, a a band versus like a very young pop artist, but like it's a similar environment where you just kind of get elevated Mm -hmm. so quickly and no one says no to you for a while. Yeah. And it just like ruins your brain. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's it's like the same thing with like K-pop idols. Yeah. They're like, again, and the same thing with like young kids in Hollywood. It's the same story over and over and over again, where kids are put in an environment that they really should not be in and the safeguards that are in place there are either non-existent or not doing enough yeah. to keep like these kids' brains developing in a normal way and putting them through life milestones in a normal way in order to be adjusted properly mm-hmm. to like be a level-headed person yeah. and like a healthy person. Yeah. So like major kudos to Spencer for knowing that he needed to step back cuz like I'm sure that it's hard mm-hmm. to know oh hey like i'm about to be in a position where i'm going to have basically an endless supply of the drugs that i want and Mm -hmm. there's going to be no one to tell me that i can't do them and there will be no consequences to doing them but it is bad for me so i'm going to step back yeah huge huge extremely difficult it takes a lot of bravery to admit that that's why you're taking a step back versus um just kind of saying like hey i'm not being in the band anymore and being open and honest and vulnerable in that way yeah and i can remember like the response to that being like while the response to like John and Ryan leaving was very like everyone freaking out this was like mm-hmm. good for him like i it was mm-hmm. for the most part super supportive if anyone was being a shithead i yeah. didn't personally see it yeah i didn't see it either and so he just kind of stayed in the background of panic until he did formally announce that he was departing from the project entirely in 2015 yeah 
So that does mean I saw Spencer Smith play at the College of New Jersey's recreational yeah. gym for their spring concert. Good for him. <laughs> he made it. He made it to fucking Lawrence, New Jersey. Was it? No, Ewing, New Jersey. So, but like, if vices and virtues were called the back half of fever, uh, two, oh, you wrote an acronym that I'm not going to say. Too weird to fuck was rooted no, firmly in the first letters. half. T-W-T-L-T-R-T-D was yeah. rooted firmly <laughs> in the first half. It felt like super duper electronic, featured hence uh, since heavily. It's like a lot dancier. It's a, it bass E. It kind of felt like a return to form for the band, basically. Mm-hmm. And the band noted Kraftwerk and Wendy Carlos's inspirations. But we have to talk about while while the music was sonically interesting, at least a little bit. I like the, the music. lyrics. Mm-hmm. The, the thing the is, lyrics. the lyrics are not bad. The lyrics are just not Brendan's, and it's quite obvious. Um, At all. So Vices and Virtues had a bunch of leftover Ryan Ross lyrics and major assistance from Pete Wentz's old live journal entries. Which we discussed ad nauseum, I feel like, in the last Panic episode. Um, This album did not, and the Wikipedia article for this album kind of dances around it. It is widely believed by now that Dallin had a much larger impact on the lyrics of this album than he was actually credited for. And even Unsurprising. even with that, like the Wikipedia article for this album does still say like, um, you know, like this song, like, uh, fuck, what is it? Girl That You Love. Brendan wrote originally like after a vacation in France and he wrote the lyrics in French and then Dallin wrote the English version of it. And it's like, okay, so... First of all, Brendan does not know French. So Dallin wrote that song then. First of all. Dallin wrote the song. First of all. Um, that's what you're saying. Like, because, <laughs> or at the very least is a co-writer if it was a direct translation, but I don't know that it is. I don't know that Dallin speaks enough French to do that. I don't know that Brendan speaks enough French to do that. It's, it, Frankly, Dallin wrote I'm, I'm this straight, song. This is not even like an alleged thing. I'm not going to toss a legend for this to save my own ass. Neither of them know French that well. <laughs> I'm saying it right now. But I mean, let me Google if Brendan Urie speaks French because there's French in. Uh, there's just no fucking in way. vices and virtues. There's French. Just because we play, we go on Duolingo for a Did little bit and maybe get C's all throughout, like French. Um, in high school does not mean you speak French, and I know this because I'm. That's me. Fans were perplexed by the song's opening scene. This is in a fucking Taylor Swift video where Brendan Urie and uh, Taylor Swift are having an argument in front of the singer's cats in French. And he it says he's getting the hang of the language rather quickly. So for him to say... He was on Duolingo. For him in 2019 to be getting the hang of French, but then claiming in 2013 that he wrote a song in French. Can you please be honest with me? Like, bruh, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Like, I know you have Rosetta Stone. I'm Don't even. Hands and knees begging. Anyway, that fucking... Ugh, girl. We've uncovered some of it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so we might fell apart exclusive. Yeah. This is... Uh, the lyrics thing is especially noteworthy on a few different songs. One of them being Girls, Girls, Boys, which Brendan claims mm-hmm. is a song about a threesome that he had when he was 15 or 16. And here's another thing that he is lying about. His throne of lies. He's just like Todd Coward you sitting on a throne of French. lies. You didn't have a threesome when you were 15. Or if you, you did, were then you were lying about being a virgin for the entire, like, first three years of the band existing. Because it was a whole thing when Panic first hit the scene that everyone talked mm-hmm. about. 
Oh, Brendan's still a virgin. They grew up in like seedy Las Vegas, but Brendan's Mormon, so he's still a virgin. And interviewers would ask about it all the fucking time, which yeah. is very weird of them. Yeah. Um, but there is... We should not have been asking a child <sighs> No, that. even when he was... Don't ask anyone that of any age. Yeah, no, that's weird, weird as hell. But there, it was a big deal when an interviewer was like, oh, so like everyone talks about how you're a virgin. And Ryan said, not anymore. So what's the truth? Did you lose your virginity at like 19 when you were on tour? Or did you lose your virginity when you were 15 while having a threesome? Which I do not believe if you were... No. Growing up in an incredibly strict Mormon household. Like... No. When would you have had time to do that? Working at Smoothie Hut. Working at no. fucking Smoothie Hut. I don't... So, I don't know which one's the lie. I don't know if the threesome is the lie. I don't know if the virginity is the lie. But one of those things is not I'm true. Thinking that, I think I think the threesome was a lie. I'm, I'll, no I'm also going to go right ahead and say that, <laughs> that the Mormon teenager having a threesome is a lie. Unless Mor Mormons get a lot freakier than no, they, they think don't. they do. No, okay. they don't. I mean, you know what? Dallin's Mormon, and I feel like his songs are pretty crazy, so maybe they do. But, um... I don't know. Oh, did I tell you that? So, there's a... This is a complete sidebar. Sorry, guys. So, there's a table in the uh, elevator lobby of my apartment mm -hmm. building, and people leave things for other people just to, like, pick up and claim, and it's actually a huge thing with management, like, hates that we do that, but, like... <laughs> what, that you give each other gifts? That we give each other gifts, but we're leaving things on the lobby table, and it's ruining the aesthetics of the building. I'm like, okay, well, instead of the... Can you clean up the dog shit that's in the stairwell? They, sorry, of they think people leaving things on the table that is what specifically for Uber Eats deliveries is ruining the aesthetic? No, no, or no. Is it's this like a different in the, table? In the, on the individual floors. Oh, the indivi okay. Like when we go down the elevator? Oh, well, that even one. then, who gives a shit? No one is going up and seeing that besides the people who live on that yeah. floor. So... Um, anyway, so someone left a Book of Mormon on the table recently, <laughs> and I was like, who the fuck is here? We live in New Jersey. What are you doing? It did eventually there, get picked up, though, well, which is very funny. Didn't the Book of Mormon thinks that, like, the original Promised Land was, like, upstate New York or some shit? Did it? Yeah. Like, that's the land of God. I never watched the Book of... Utica? Yeah. The Adirondacks? Mormon New York. It's like, I truly don't know how they, like... Okay, well, this is actually just getting me tickets to fucking Book of Mormon on Broadway. Because, yeah, like, of course it is. I figured that was... It's still on Broadway? Yeah. Mormon Holy Again, Land. Again, learning new things every single day the on this Sacred podcast. Grove we didn't ever teach you anything. No, it's because um, Joseph Smith is from New York. So the Sacred Grove is a forested area of western uh, New York near the home of Joseph Smith, where the foundational event of the Latter-day Saint movement took place. It is the location where he had his first vision, a theophany, occurring in the spring of 1820. The exact location is not okay. known. But it is one of the 74, it is number 74 on the list of most holy places on earth by religious leaders. Don't think that anything Mormon should be that high up. On I'm sorry if anyone's listening is Mormon. <laughs> but as, yeah, as someone who went to Catholic school, I have opinions on I'm all the Jewish. other schools of Christianity. <laughs> I just can't imagine the promised land being south of Buffalo. I think it's like the actual promised land is like either missouri or like mexico or something but like he received his vision uh -huh. in new york he thinks that jesus lived in america that's that's his whole thing oh uh, that's the whole he thing he went okay he went to the woods and a, a mm. vision start out with told him jesus lived in america going on a you need to have like five quest. more wives he went home told his wife that mm. she wrote it down normal they lost that original transcription he was like, okay, I'm going to go back and see if the angel comes to me again. He does, comes back. It's a different thing that he tells her. It's not the same thing this time. 
Um, and he's like, okay, but this is like final use this one dot doc, you know, whatever. And mm. they're like, okay. And they found the relation, the religion on that. It's just, it's, are we sure that he didn't just eat some like fucked up moldy bread like they did in Salem? I'm almost 100% certain that he just was like, I am a man and I'd like to have more wives. I want to fuck more. Um, so I'm going yeah. to pretend that God wants me to do Classic that. Classic cult behavior. Um, and it's going to work because that's how people behave. I don't know. This is like maybe one of my more toxic beliefs, but I personally think that if we can pinpoint the exact day and date that a religion was founded, it's not a real religion. No, I agree. Like, that's that a cult sense. now. Yeah. You know? And I mean, Fully. for the record, no, I, I also kind of think that most of Christianity is a cult. But, you know, it's... Well, any sort of organized religion underneath a one figurehead is kind of, is a cult by definition. Yeah, you put any of them in a small enough space, it's going to get fucked up. But, like, mm-hmm. being that this one, we can be like, oh, it was this guy, Joseph Smith, on this day, in this place. And he thinks that the Middle East was in Missouri. Like, can we fucking stop joking? You don't believe that. Like, like we didn't have public education yet. <laughs> you don't of, think of that's he, true. He probably got confused with probably got confused when he saw the two letters M. Well, we didn't call it the Middle East until <laughs> a while no. later because of geopolitics. Yeah. Um, but of course, Nazareth was in Missouri. Yeah, everybody knows that. It's very easy to get that confused. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's stupid. I th- my point is, I don't think someone who was spending their time learning about this was also having three ways. At 15. Yeah, I know. Um, anyway, Brandon claims that this song is about a threesome that he had. Dallin went on record and said that the song is about a love triangle between three people of various sexual orientations. Brandon has also said that it's kind of like about barsexual girls who like make out with other guys for male attention, which is kind of gross. Yeah. Breezy Weeks, Dallin's wife, said on Twitter that the song is about her <laughs> and her being bisexual and Dallin kind of, like, writing through that realization and, like, what their relationship then, was going through when she was coming to terms with that. And also, at this time, Brendan either co-opted that and turned it in for him and his wife, because Sarah is also bisexual. Yeah. Or it was fans saying that, regardless of the, like, regardless. Yeah. The truth about Dallin writing this song and what his truth was about writing this song got warped and got, uh, like, attached to Brendan versus Dallin. It's Dallin. just, like, if I wrote a song for my wife and I was like, this is about um, how my wife is bisexual and, like, there was kind of a weird time in our relationship where she was exploring her bisexuality and I wrote a song about that and I love my wife and we're still together and the relationship is great and, like, I dedicate this weird, messy song about a love triangle among people of various sexual orientations to my wife who i love and brendan is like this is about a three-way that i had as a teenager like i Mm -hmm. personally think i would kill someone who did that like it is incredible to me that dallin has not just like murdered brendan yuri yeah again dallin we know that you know our podcast exists we're on your side Dallin, i'm on your side your nda cannot hurt you anymore i'm not under an nda I'm not under an NDA. I'll say shit. I'll say anything. I'll say anything that you need me to say. That mm-hmm. is a promise. You can be your mouthpiece. Yeah. The prophet of Dallas. Genuine. <laughs> I'm here. I'll go, I'm here. I'll go to the woods in upstate New York and I will hear what you have to tell me. And I will come on the podcast and I will say, guys, God appeared before me and told me that Brendan Yuri stole a bunch of Br- Dallin's lyrics. And it'll be fine. I will it'll do be it for fine. you. I'll do it. I'll take 
I'll I'll even apologize for calling you emo's poorest meow meow. I won't. I'll apologize if he tells the truth. Mm. I'll I'll apologize for that. I won't apologize for everything I said about Mormons. No, that's fair. Yeah. I agree with that one. <laughs> Um, regardless of the truth behind the song, it has been held up as an anthem for bi slash pan people, and I'll admit it, as a bi person. It's a banger. This was an it's anthem. a banger. There's nothing it's there's nothing anyone can do about it. It's a good song. Nope. This was the feature of all que- uh Quam Queer Awareness Month for college <laughs> for like the rest of my college it career. Whips. The music video is sexy. There's nothing any of us can do. Yeah, I won't deny that one. Fuck Brendan Yuri, but that video is something special. <laughs> I saw a uh a post the other day that was like who's the most problematic person that you would still have sex with and i don't think i would have sex with brandon yuri but like no I, if someone said brandon yuri i would be like yeah that's yeah, fair know. of you i guess that's fair like good looking fella i have eyes you know whatever i have eyes if you ignore the everything about him then why not and he, and he keeps um, his mouth shut <laughs> the whole time yeah <laughs> he's just like a blank slate exactly <laughs> um another of dallin's major major contributions was uh far too young to die a song which was originally written in the fucking late 90s uh for dallin's band that he started in high school called 1000 west um and that song was initially called monday morning went through several iterations um when 1000 west became the brobex it was re-recorded under that new name it was re-recorded again as far too young to die when the lyrics got reworked um you can still find like every single version of these demos on youtube um Mm -hmm. the brobeck's like version of far too young to die incredible song so good and that was the song that he brought into panic of the disco the lyrics and tone like were super overhauled like it's a much darker song when brendan sings it Mm -hmm. It's significantly less, uh, like, cheerful or, like, triumphant. I don't know. Like, the uh, the Brobex version is, like, a very bright poppy song. And then the Panic version is, like, just a lower, sadder. Yeah. But the music is, like, even from the 1996 version, like, just so immediately recognizable as being the same song. Oof. Yeah. Oof. So that was one of Dallin's, like, major... I don't know. It's like, I know that he would have done this, like, willingly, I'm assuming, because it's Mm -hmm. hard to do that unwillingly. But, like, that is a level of, like, that is a big gift to give to somebody. A song that you clearly cherish enough to have worked on for almost 20 years at that point. I don't know. I don't necessarily feel like Brendan deserved to get that. No. Um, Not at all. No. And then uh, This Is Gospel, I think, is maybe the most recognizable song or like the most notable song off the album minus Miss Jackson, yeah. um, was written for and about Spencer by Brendan and Dallin, which is very sweet. And also like This Is Gospel is super duper overplayed, but also it kind of slaps. Yeah. It's it's a really good song. It's um it's the song that is in the post about what if they played this and then Dan and Phil came on stage with the gay pride plague. So that's And that in and of itself. <laughs> you know, that's how iconic this is gospel is um it's also a very very good song like it's, it is it's it's really good one of these songs on this the end of all things um was actually written as brendan's uh marriage vows for uh his and sarah's wedding which is very sweet yeah um and also just like a another like lovely song which is ironic because also at this point like dallin had largely taken up ryan's place not only as a lyricist but also as a stage gay partner yep. 
Um, not quite to the same extent, I would say, but like they were, uh, no, they were singing into the same microphone. They were holding on to each other. It was enough to make the girls go yeah, wild. They, they were very much, it was really just like, hey, Dallin, this is part of your job description. Like you have to pretend to be a little bit gay with me on stage. Yep. You know, and it's a part of your contract. I don't know if that's an actual thing but like it just sure feels like it was from like how yeah i feel seamless like that transition brendan, was <laughs> i also feel like brendan for all his shortcomings is savvy enough of a businessman to know how much stage gay sold for them as well as like if, if he went into the the band split as keeping the brand panic at the disco he sure as fuck knew that stage gay was then a part of like the ethos of panic at the disco yeah and thus, like, still needed to have that aspect as a band. And, like, there's a um, a song, and it doesn't feature on the, like, album version of the song. But hang on. Which one is it? Um, ba, 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 the YouTube release of Casual Affair um, samples mm-hmm. the quote, uh, looks innocent enough, doesn't it? But sometimes there are dangers involved that never meet the eye. No matter where you meet a stranger, be careful if they're too friendly which is taken from the 1961 public anti-gay film uh, Boys Beware. Um, and the quote for that is not present in the official album release. There's also like a song uh, that was the Japanese slash Target exclusive bonus track where Dallin is credited as the only writer on this one, um, but it's called All the Boys. So, you know, they Get were- your coin king. Yeah. Um, I like the lyrics to this one, actually. You know, all the boys and I love her madly. All the boys and I, all the girls and I, too. You know? Damn. It's fully just like another... Another bi anthem. Dallin just writing a million songs about his bi wife. He's like, there's not enough bi anthems. I got yeah. this one. <laughs> Dallin's, Dallin's an interesting person to me because... What an ally. Yeah. Like, well, I don't even know that we can say ally because, like... No. There's something happening there. Like, uh, do you remember when Dallin tweeted, like... I understand that a lot of people, like, appreciate having, like, preferred pronouns in a bio, like, even from a cis person, because, like, it, you know, creates a, like, a standard for this being something normal, so that trans people who do this are not immediately outed. And he was like, mm-hmm. I just, like, want to let people know that I don't have preferred pronouns in my bio, because I don't have preferred pronouns. Like, I do not care how I'm referred to, and I'm not comfortable being asked to, like, pick one that I want people to refer to me as, because, like, I don't want to do that. Fair. And... In a couple, like, Instagram posts where, like, things are labeled. Like, he, like, has one where he points to himself. It's, like, ceiling fan. Uh, like, tape deck, whatever. And, like, the one pointing to Dallin mm-hmm. is, like, man. But, like, man is in quotation marks. So, it's, yeah. So, I don't know. It's, there's some stuff going on with Dallin. Yeah. So. We all got yeah. stuff. So, I don't know. I don't know if. Real, reco- uh, real recognize yeah. is real. Gender's happening in the, mm-hmm. I don't know how, but they found me offices which really only have dallin in them him. now um <laughs> yeah anyway it is my dallin uh patron deity of writing songs about your bisexual wife um mm-hmm. but yeah i mean th- that also just it plays into you know brendan understanding the landscape and being like that this doesn't totally sell but hinting at it sells hinting at it in a way that is mostly safe but that kind of implies danger Let's do that. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Yeah. So the band toured in support of this album until mid-2014. This would be the last Panic! at the Disco album to be released as a band. 
Dun, dun, dun. <sighs> and with that, we're going to take a quick break to hear from another one of our friends at Moonshot Pods, and then we'll be right back with you for Death of a Bachelor. Hey, Jane. Hey, Jacqueline. Do you think the 2011 Egyptian revolution was caused by the chaos god Apophis? Uh, I mean, I think that's... How about the American Civil War and its ties to Greco-Roman conflict? I, I mean, I think that's underselling the economic concern of slavery. Do you think centaurs just piss where they stand? Jacqueline, no offense, but I think there's something deeply wrong with you. It's not me, it's actually Rick Riordan, author of the Percy Jackson series. So you're saying that if you do a deep analysis of this incredibly popular and purportedly progressive, though overall well-intentioned author's works, you can uncover the deep rot behind American liberalism and capitalism as a whole? Yeah. Okay, I guess we could do a podcast about that. And we can make sure to take time each episode to find the incontrovertible proof that his characters are not cishet because Rick Riordan is not the boss of us. Listen to One Wise Girls every Friday, brought to you by the Moonshot Network. <laughs> so, remember how I said that we were going to be right back with um, the continuing of Panic of the Disco's history after we hear a word from our friends over at Moonshot? Well, guess what? Um... As always with this show, always something has to happen. Um, turns out that uh, Audacity decided to just delete my back half of the audio of this episode and Chloe's was totally fine, but my audio was completely and totally missing. So um, that's a huge bummer and we will have to re-record um, the other part of panic of the disco's history which this was originally supposed to be just a three-part history of panic of the disco it's now going to be like a four-part thing but it's totally fine right you love listening to us um so yeah that'll get up probably next week as an apology for uh being gone for so long and as i mentioned up at the top that like we appreciate your patience whenever it comes to all this kind of stuff um we like to be completely and totally just one hundo trans percent like transparent with you guys about why sometimes episodes take longer to upload because like you guys deserve to know the truth of what's going on um and giving you guys like false platitudes is like not chill uh so yeah um Panic the disco part four the cupid shuffle i guess will be coming um next week so thank you again for listening bye Kung Fu Grip. Kung Fu Grip. As so you can see, I had to use my uh, judo on Gerard. Yeah, I see that Gerard's actually gone to pieces here during this interview. Sometimes it happens. I just well, got so emo, I fell apart. That's what actually happened. You got that sad? That sad.